Good morning, and welcome to Ronkle and the Mayor. Let's dip into the slipstream and see what's happening in my bubble. So, continuing to take those walks, and it's gotten kind of cold, so um, walks when it's 34 degrees are, are kind of a thing. Uh, my face gets cold. I recently had to shave my beard uh, because of a little, little shaving mishap. Uh, a little piece of my brawn razor fell off and uh, kind of kind of took out my sideburns so I had to kind of cut them off not kind of I did cut them off for the first time in years uh, so I've been wearing a lot of hats more hats than usual hoping my hair would uh, would grow back so yeah a little bit of a cold face on the walks um, you know it's uh, my hands get cold I wear gloves um, Anyway, not as many people out, and the people that are out are the, the people with their dogs. The dogs don't want to be outside because, of course, it's freezing, so they're out there trying to trying to force their dog to go to the bathroom, <laughs> which is, is kind of funny, I think, uh, as a non-dog owner. Um, I, uh, I guess I can sympathize, but uh, I get up early anyway, so um, I don't, and I don't have that problem. I don't have an animal I need to poop. <laughs> Anyway, on my walks around the neighborhood, I guess uh, one thing that I have neglected to mention, and it's a, kind of a cool feature in my neighborhood here in Selwood, is Ping Pong's Puppet Emporium. And uh, these gentlemen make some of the, the puppets and uh, animatronic stuff. Uh, you may have seen it on the show Grimm. Uh, they've done a bunch of famous movies and shows. They're both older gentlemen, probably in their late 70s, early 80s. And uh, you can actually go tour this place. It's an old uh, general store that they've uh, retrofitted the front of it and sort of connected it to a house. And uh, I believe they they take in young puppet young puppeteers and uh, people in training, and they they will stay there. It's sort of like a almost like a school as well. So you can learn how to do puppetry and and build these sets. And uh, it's it's a really cool place. And they actually put on uh, puppet shows still. Uh, Kid-themed shows, of course, and also adult-themed shows, things with uh, adult storylines, maybe some uh, uh, graphic language, possibly, or, you know, uh, innuendos, uh, but it's it's really good stuff. Uh, it's really fun, and it's cool. It's a couple blocks up. They always do a whole bunch of cool things for the holidays, so they dress it up for Christmas, and then uh, as Christmas ends, they kind of break it down and turn it into... Um, Valentine's Day and Easter, so there's these big inflatable bears with hearts on them out there right now uh, in front of ping pongs. <laughs> so it's kind of a nice little thing. Uh, walk by in the early morning, it's dark, and there's these three giant uh, bears with big red hearts <laughs> walking by. And uh, as you get closer to Easter, they'll change them to chickens, um, which is kind of funny. Um, they do a couple other little things there. They just sort of, they sort of get going in October and it kind of continues into February. Um, and then it dies down in early spring, their outdoor decorations anyway. Um, another thing I, I see on my walk, uh, I have a, you know, we are here in, uh, in Hippieville, um, sort of jokingly say that, but one of my neighbors has a Toyota Prius that he has this plexiglass uh, case on top, and it's filled with dirt and plants. So he has a Prius with a living roof, which is probably a Portlandia episode. Um, <laughs> uh, or if, if it hasn't been, it should be. Um, I haven't actually seen it ever driving. I, I always just walk by it, and I guess my schedule's opposite of this person. But it's there in the afternoon, it's there in the morning. So I see this guy, he's got some succulents on it, and... Uh, 
couple other little uh, grasses growing. Uh, it's just sort of funny um, that a living roof on a hybrid car that is still kind of poisoning the planet. So anyway, um, another thing that's been going on uh, up at the our Share It Square, our little community uh, hangout spot. Uh, we were supposed to all be getting together for a bingo night and some sort of potluck. And when I say we all, I mean I've heard about it, but I wasn't going to actually participate myself. <laughs> Um, not that I didn't, not that I don't like these people. I just not really my thing. Um, don't have any interest in playing bingo for fun. Um, maybe for charity. Uh, anyway, it was canceled. We have a, a flu bug going around here in Portland and apparently everyone in the neighborhood has it. I have a friend who attend, uh, his kid attends preschool and there's a 10 child class and apparently only four of them were there on Monday. So, uh, 40% attendance is uh, not what we're shooting for, but uh, they can't. Anyway, they canceled the bingo thing. They canceled the potluck. I'm uh, gonna have to reschedule it. And this sort of uh, touches on. Um, we had a measles scare in Clark County, Washington, which is right over the bridge, just over the uh, you know from Portland in Washington. And some of those people, uh, they're anti-vaxxers, which sort of pl plays into our whole conspiracy thing. Uh, get your kids vaccinated. Nothing like 60 plus years of evidence that it's safe. Uh, so these people are anti-vaxxers and a few of them came over the bridge and attended a blazer game and, and went to a mall. So they exposed uh, themselves, them, them and their measles to the masses. So if you have a small child that hasn't been uh, vaccinated yet or they're too young to get all have not received, they were susceptible to catching this. So um Anyway, the flu has become kind of a hot topic around here because of the, the measles being on the news and just the sheer irresponsibility of some of these people. Um, but that's probably something for another show. We can get into the, the vaccine thing. Um, let's, uh, let's turn to something a, a little bit more positive right now and talk about a few things that I like. Um, it, this is a pretty easy segment for me. Um, I, one thing I have liked forever are fake fabrics, especially polyester. And now all of my favorite sports gear, like duck gear, Detroit lions, all the things I have are made of this fake stuff. Uh, it's real breathable, which is nice. And it dries quick. Uh, it's easy to wash. The, the one problem I found is I have cats and you, you can't have a cat do happy paws on you. They just shred this stuff. So, uh, while I like it, there are a few downfalls, and I've noticed some of the stuff is so breathable that when I'm out on a, a nice walk or it's a little cool, uh, you notice how breathable the fabric is because the wind just blows right through it and uh, chills you. So if I was a real athlete actually working up a sweat all the time, it probably would be kind of nice. But uh, at my pace, sometimes it's just a little cold. So... <laughs> Uh, another thing that I like are flat-brimmed hats, and you see this now. It's kind of a newer style, although I've, I've noticed it kind of ebb and flow over the years. And uh, initially, I was against it, but now I, I uh, a couple of my favorite athletes and a few guys that like uh, one of my favorite drivers, Kimi Räikkönen, uh, he always wears a flat-brimmed hat, so I do now too. A uh, little bit of hero worship there. Uh, I also have an extreme flat-brimmed Timbers hat. Uh, very flat, very tall, and I call that my asshole hat because only I only see assholes wearing this. And for me, it's kind of a joke. I'm, I'm a nice guy. But 
let's face it, you never meet anybody totally cool wearing one of these hats. It's always a, a little bit of a murky situation, so you, you have to take it, for, take it for a second and make sure you get to know the person before you can accept a flat-brimmed hat person into your circle. Uh, just a little word of advice there. Uh, I have I have noticed people trying to round them out. They'll put the flat broom hat on their head and then they'll cup it like the old baseball caps. And it's uh, the hat's not even constructed in that manner. It's actually narrower at the, where your temples are, uh, forcing the hat forward a little. So it it doesn't it doesn't conform like an old school hat would. Um, so it's just sort of funny watching people do that, but it's definitely one of those generational things. Um, when I early two thousands, I was riding uh, public transportation a lot in Eugene, and I noticed all of the middle school kids were starting to wear flat brimmed hats. And I at first I was a little skeptical of it, but of course here I am, full circle, and now I have several of them. Uh, full disclaimer: I was not a hat person. I wore a couple of stocking caps growing up. Um, no ball caps, never felt like my head was a good shape or, you know, it's a little small. So hats just seem to fit me, um, fit me in an odd way. Um, but now, uh, as an adult, probably started in my late twenties, early thirties, I started wearing hats, ball caps, and now I wear a hat almost every day. Uh, not sure what changed. Uh, maybe my head kind of conformed and has a better shape now. I don't really know what it is, but I started wearing hats, and uh, yeah, I guess I continue to. Um, the one thing that I that's hard with a hat is I found that wearing sunglasses and a hat is kind of difficult for me sometimes. It's like too many things to take off and leave in the car or bring inside if you're going to a restaurant. So um, yeah, that's the the struggles of me here in Selwood. Do I wear a do I wear sunglasses with my hat or not? Gosh, who can who can keep up with all this? All right couple of uh, real things here. Uh, Jackie Robinson would have been 100 years old this week. Uh, he broke the color barrier in baseball, as most of you will know. He was an excellent uh, athlete, and actually baseball was, was probably his fourth best sport. Uh, he was also a basketball player, a wrestler, and ran track and field. Uh, so uh, amazingly enough, you know, he, he, could, he could do it all in baseball, but he was also he also excelled at everything else, and, uh, and you go back and you can find some of his stats at UCLA. Uh, he was excellent. Uh, what a brave man! Uh, not only did he change baseball, he changed the country and uh, had a huge impact on our planet. Um, I, you know, being the first black man in baseball and facing the extreme racism he did, um, and keeping his chin high uh, is impressive. Uh, what a great man! And uh, he deserves all the accolades. His number is retired by all all 30 MLB teams. Um, they're, they're preparing a, a season-long celebration in his honor, uh, and he deserves every bit of it. And uh, you know, it's too bad I never got to actually see him play long before my time. All I have are the videos and the great still shots of him sliding into home plate. Um, but you can imagine how thrilling it was to, uh, to see that guy and how scary it was to be him at certain times. Uh, also, uh, I guess we'll keep it in L.A. news. LeBron James came back last night and uh, gave the Lakers the boost they needed. Um, Ray John Rondo is also back, so the roster is starting to come back together. They won. They beat the Clippers. Uh, the Lakers are also, as everyone knows, possibly involved in a couple of huge trades. Although, if I were the Lakers, I would wait till the offseason uh, and not, and not trade all of the young stars. 
um, or all the young uh, players they have. Uh, most of these guys are 23 and younger, so I would want to give them a chance to grow. I understand LeBron doesn't want to wait for that because, uh, well, he's not getting any younger. He's 34, and the clock is uh, ticking. So he, he needs wins now. He needs players now. But, uh, you know, this isn't a lost season for the Lakers or LeBron, but it's going to be tough from here on out. They have the toughest schedule um, from this point on in the season, and uh, they're young. And, uh, boy, when your depth is all young guys, it's going to be difficult. So, you know, glad LeBron's back, and uh, we'll see what happens. All right. Wanted to uh, get into something here today. Uh, we do talk conspiracy on this show. And I wanted to uh, impress upon people that I am a skeptic. Um, I'm not promoting this material. Uh, in fact, I... I think that maybe only I should read conspiracy stuff and then dole it out to everyone else just to make sure it's understood properly. Uh, I'll, I guess I will become the resident expert and uh, skeptic. And I love the conspiracy stuff. I love reading it and imagining that it's real. But that's just it. It's all part of my, it's all in my imagination. It's just for fun. <laughs> Excuse me. So what I thought we'd do today is I have prepared a little conspiracy myself. Um, just to show you how easy it is to pluck a few facts and mix them in with insanity and uh, basically create an awesome conspiracy. So here we, here we go. You want to talk conspiracy without facts? I have something for you. I, have, I dream of taking back the planet Earth and returning it to its proper stewards. I, am, I have dreams. I'm marching arm in arm with the animals of the planet, and they're fighting back against those that oppose us. The beings of Zeta Reticula beamed the dreams into my mind. They're called dream commands. Those like me with open minds now have the blueprint to take back the planet, and there are many like me. Some have God, some are spiritual, but I have a mind-bending alien overlord communicating with me. The aliens must get here first before FEMA forces use the secret landing strips, which are critically located in every municipality to acquire our minds first and intern us at FEMA re-education camps. See the Google Maps and prove me wrong. FEMA forces have been plotting for years to overthrow their government as part of the struggle against the reticulans. So see, some people would argue with me that those aren't the reticulans, that that's the Anunnaki, and they're actually hiding their chrome ship on the far side of Mercury, opposite of our orbits. We can't see them. Anyhow, you see how that works. You just work in some uh, big government federal forces, the closest star system, and maybe some sort of thing, uh, some sort of mind-altering uh, alien that helps you. Uh, I've heard people talk about this sort of stuff before. It's an angle that uh, the aliens are actually here to help us save the planet from ourselves. Um, so I just thought it would be fun to kind of insert that there. And uh, imagine someone spending hours and hours and hours developing this story. Um, and, and in all fairness, I have actually gone on Google Maps. There are swaths of land. Um, it's county, county land, and some of them are marked as airstrips. And most of them, I, I'm assuming, are places for emergency landings, uh, old farm crop, uh, crop dusting land strips, but uh, I have driven out to a few of them. Most of them are simply just in neighborhoods, but can you imagine the conspiratorial mind and where someone could go with this if, uh, 
if they didn't have a, uh, something stable to fall back on. Anyway, I just thought that would be kind of funny for uh, funny for today. And now we actually will get into, it's not really a conspiracy, but this is one of the more famous sightings, um, uh, UFO sightings. And one of, one of my favorite, actually, because it's... Uh, I don't know how legit it is as far as aliens go, but there something did happen. So here we go. I'm going to uh, give you the, the details on this. So the Lonnie Zamora incident was an alleged UFO close encounter, which occurred on Friday, April 24th, 1964 at 5.50 p.m. on the outskirt, outskirts of Socorro, New Mexico. Uh, several witnesses emerged to report their version of the event, which included the craft's approach, conspicuous flame, and alleged physical evidence left behind immediately afterwards. Afterwards, Lonnie Zamora, a police officer who was on duty at the time, claimed to have come closest to the object and provided the most prolonged and comprehensive account. Some physical trace, trace evidence left behind, burned vegetation and soil, ground landing impressions, and metal scrapings on a broken rock in one of the impressions. Uh... This was subsequently observed and analyzed by investigators for the military, law enforcement, and civilian UFO groups. Whoever they are, probably MUFON, or whoever that was at the time. The event and its body of evidence sometimes deemed one of the best documented and most perplexing UFO reports. It was immediately investigated by the U.S. Army, U.S. Air Force, and the FBI, and received considerable coverage in the mass media. It was also... One of the cases that helped persuade astronomer J. Allen Hynek, one of the primary investigators for the Air Force, that some of the UFO reports represented an intriguing mystery. After extensive investigation, the Air Force Project Blue Book was unable to come up with a conventional explanation and listed the case as unknown. So you see, this is this is more legit. Uh, there isn't some sort of takeover happening. Uh, simply a cop uh, saw something. So... Here's how the story goes. Uh, Lonnie was alone in his patrol car. Uh, Sergeant Lonnie Zamora was chasing a speeding car uh, due south of Socorro on April 24, 1964, at about 5.45, when he heard a roar and saw a flame in the sky to the southwest, come southwest some distance away, possibly a half mile or a mile. Thinking a local dynamite shack might have exploded, Zamora broke off the chase and went to investigate. Though Zamora says he did not pay much attention to the flame, that the sun was to the west and did not help vision, and he was wearing green sunglasses over prescription glasses. In interviews with the Air Force Investigators Project Blue Book, he goes to some lengths to describe the long, narrow, funnel-shaped, bluish-orange flame. He thought there might be some dust at the bottom and attributed it to the windy day. The weather was clear, sunny skies, otherwise just a few scattered clouds. He describes the noise as a roar, not a blast, that changed from high frequency to low frequency that lasted possibly 10 seconds and stopped. He explains that his car windows were down. Zamora noted other possible witnesses, except, po uh, except one possibly in the car in front of him, which he estimates might have heard the noise but not seen the flame because it would have been below the hill from, the view from their viewpoint. So Zamora follows this object until it crashes off the side of the road, and he drives to he drives up a hill and it's hard for his car to get up the hill but once he gets up there he sees some sort of chrome craft and he sees two two people standing by it two or three people and zamora always insisted they weren't tiny they didn't look weird he, they they may have been big kids possibly but they didn't look like your stereotypical alien uh so uh 
Lonnie approaches them, gets out of his car thinking he's going to help this person. He's not sure what's happened. He still thinks it might be a car crash, even though he saw this flame. That one of the beings or one of the people sees Zamora and they hurry and uh, they, they start hurriedly preparing their, their ship, I guess, their craft. And the roar starts up. So Lonnie Zamora runs. He runs past his car and he ducks and he hides his face. He said he was afraid of this sound of the, the roar of the rocket engine or whatever it might be. And he looked back and the thing lifted off the ground basically at the same height as his car and he turned away again being scared uh, for six seven seconds then looked back as the craft flew away so uh, he he, st he stood there uh, looking at it afraid hiding behind his car didn't know what it was uh, called in called in the report to another police officer to see if they had seen it and uh no, I guess no one did. So the, the way the story goes, though, is that Lonnie, some people think that he was in on a hoax to uh, bring tourism to the area and that the local mayor had persuaded him to help him and that they could create a, a, a place for tourists and visitors to go to and that would bring more money into the area. It's a little little far-fetched. There's another uh, theory that it was some students from, the, from New Mexico State and they were actually part of a, a hoax group that was launching rockets, hoping people would see them. And then, be, and then when you when you found where you thought the rocket fell, there were a group of them all dressed up in suits, preparing a little ship that they were going to, to you know, launch off the ground. Uh, so there are several, um, uh, of course, conspiracies or stories about what it might be. That they're also. Um, in recent time, people have started to speculate that it might have been an early drone or uh, something with Osprey technology because it lifts straight off the ground. Uh, so what what you might what Lonnie may have witnessed was a malfunctioning uh, Air Force or Army uh, plane, something something secret. And so when the Air Force, of course, went to investigate it, they had to downplay it or say that you know they didn't they didn't find anything. Although there was some physical evidence, there was some metal shavings from where the craft, I guess crashed into a rock. Uh, there are also uh, indentations on the ground from this, the support uh, from the craft. Uh, so where it landed, you know, it of course had some weight to it and it left a mark on the ground. Uh, so, you know, uh, I guess you take it for what it is. Uh, Lonnie Zamora never really changed his story. Um, I don't, he didn't seem to profit off it too much. And uh, he continued to be a, a cop out there in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico. So, uh, there, there's a real UFO sighting for you, one of the more famous ones, uh, an interesting, kind of a fun case to read about. Uh, and compared with my crazy rant, you can see sort of the difference between just a pure sighting and when there seems to be an agenda uh, to impress upon people something that you know that no one else does, because somehow you have secret knowledge, which in some way, I guess, makes you better. Uh, or superior. Not not sure why people need to make stuff up to feel better about themselves. Um, but we'll get to that on another show, I guess. So that was uh, our conspiracy talk and rant. And let's get into some awesome news, some more IndyCar news. Uh, of course, the great news just keeps coming. Uh, yesterday, is actually, it was announced that Gainbridge has been named as the presenting sponsor for the 500. And Gainbridge is a 
uh, investment firm. They're an annuity and life insurance firm, so they now become the official annuity and life insurance sponsor of IndyCar. Their parent company is Group 1001, which is a multi-billion dollar investment firm uh, that actually sponsors Zach Veach. Uh, he's a, he races for Andretti, and uh, this company is pretty massive. And so this was a hope of IndyCar that Group 1001, with all the, all the companies that they parent or oversee, they would funnel some of them into IndyCar for, for their uh, investment opportunities. Uh, IndyCar is relatively cheap to invest in. And Gainbridge, who's sort of a regional Midwest, they're an Indiana company, but they're expanding nationally. So they're using this uh, four-year deal with IndyCar. So you'll see the Indy 500 presented by Gainbridge. And, uh, you know, they pay, a few, they pay five million bucks a year to get their name mentioned uh, throughout the Indy 500. And they'll get a lot of pub for it. And it's great because it's just, an, just another big sponsor, of course. And they're, they're signing on with the series. So that benefits all of the teams, which is great. Uh, the other, the other uh, IndyCar news is uh, Connor Daly, who is a fan favorite. And I, I like him. He's got a great personality. But so far, uh, he's only had one full-time ride. And uh, it just didn't work out. Um, the team, the teams he's been on have not have provided him with good cars, or he's been racing on a third or fourth car that the setup is pretty poor. Um, but Connor does do good setups. He when he goes out there on the track and tests, he he provides good information to the engineers and teams. So he's a good driver. So here's the news: Connor Daly got an Indy 500 drive with Andretti Autosport, which is going to be the best opportunity he's had to this point in his career. Uh, he'll, and he has a major backer. The U.S. Air Force Recruiting will be his primary sponsor, and they were last year when he when he raced the 500. Um, the other good deal about this is U.S. Air Force has signed on to be an associate sponsor on all of the Andretti cars. So, you know, more money uh, in, the, in the paddock is great, and that brings Andretti to five cars for the Indy 500, and they insist they aren't going six cars, uh, although, don't be surprised if Carlos Munoz gets a ride with them. Uh, that man can uh, that man can wheel it around at Indy. Um, he's easily a, t uh, a top ten guy uh, at the 500. Uh, ever since he raced there as a rookie and finished second, uh, everyone could just see, wow, this guy has no fear and he has a, he has the speed on the super speedways. Just does not have the financial backing to. Uh, to get a full-time ride right now, that's that's too bad. But uh, there are only so there's only so much room on the track. And once you get to 26 to 30 cars uh, on a on a non-oval, uh, you know you're kind of running out of room. And at the speeds IndyCar goes, you don't really go much past the 33 you see at the 500. Um, you know when you're doing 230 miles an hour, you cover two and a half miles relatively quick. Um, now, I would like to see them expand or allow as many people in as possible. I know people don't like provisional spots, but uh, I say don't turn away anybody. Um, maybe cap it at some point like NASCAR does at 44, uh, 45, whatever it might be. But uh, I don't think IndyCar can really afford to send home paid rides, rides with sponsors on them, uh, unless the paddock just does not have enough uh, stalls for cars or something like that. Then you, know, you have to do some qualifying and bump some people. Anyhow, that's all of the the real news. Uh, we talked about the 24 hours of Daytona. Got rained out at the very end, but uh, it was kind of a fun race. I did hear a lot of commentators, even people within the sport, saying that they watched an hour, two hours, three hours. 
Uh, I can say uh, safely that I myself watched 12 plus hours of it. Um, and uh, my wife, my beautiful wife, she also uh, sat there with me. You know, she, of course, expanded her mind by reading some books and uh, pre- uh, looked over and, and uh, acknowledged that I love this stuff and that uh, she was supporting me by, uh, by listening as best she could. But anyway, sports car racing is here. IndyCar will be back in, uh, four, in a month now. So uh, we're almost there. All right. It was another great show. I want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, check me out on Twitter if you want some of the, the straight dope and some real fake news. You can find me at, at Ronkel. So, uh, everybody, I want you to be safe. A little word of advice for everybody. Stay away from snot rockets and tequila poppers. What seems important will last forever. Tall Michael, 5,000. <laughs>